please stand and join me in the call to worship? It is good to give thanks to you, O God, to declare your steadfast love in the morning. For you have made us glad by your work. At the work of your hands, we sing for joy. Good morning and welcome to worship here this morning on um, this sort of a gray day and I do hope that all of you were able to um, get in 
to the south side area into the church uh, vicinity without too much trouble. We tried to notify you of the, the Mercedes Marathon in advance so that if you can make plans for such, but I even forgot it this morning. Thank goodness I came early enough that I was able to go uh, through there without any problems. But uh, today we're here, and we're gathering here to worship the one true and living God. And as we come and gather this morning, we do so with um, hearts that are eager to worship, to lift our voices in praise, to listen to those things that are said, the words that, that we hear. There may be a few guests that are with us, and so if, if you are, if you would, uh, everyone actually, if you'll take time to fill out the guest or the registration booklet at the end of each pew, we would appreciate that. Give us a chance to uh, know you a little bit better. Again, as we gather, we want to welcome each other into this time of worship. So I ask that you um, take a moment and pass the peace of Christ now to one another and welcome each other in Jesus' name. As we come back together, uh, you have a worship order here, and it's just stiff enough to do this. Uh, I was just telling the choir, this is the day that we ought to break out the old funeral home fans, if we ever had those, but uh, uh, it is still a great day to be in the Lord's house, so may we uh, come to worship um, with that in mind, and may we invoke the name of the Lord for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us to this house today. We know of its wonder, of its, of its heritage, of its legacy, but we also know that we are here today. We are gathered to hear your word, to experience you in music, in, in the word, and in the communion with one another. May we do this today as we enter into a, a time of, of thought and spirit. May we drink in what you have to offer us, the living water. And may we go from this place after this time to act upon that very thought. We thank you for bringing us here today in this time and this place. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. May we stand as we sing.
first reading from Scripture is from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the book of Jonah, and the fourth chapter, although I'm going to start reading from the verse 10 of chapter 3. A familiar story, a tale um, about a man who runs away from the call of God in his life. And it's the first part of the story that most people think about, but actually the, the main emphasis of the story is actually in the final chapter, which we'll read together this morning. When God saw what they, Nineveh, did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring about them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? second reading for today is found in the gospel according to Matthew. I'll be reading from the eighth chapter beginning in verse five. This is the account of the faith of a centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asked for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. 
Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he, do, and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How are you all today? Good, good. Glad that you're here, and it's good to see you all today. Last week, Jack and I were up here by ourselves, so we're glad to have a lot of folks here to help us today. I want to talk a little bit to you about some things that I think some of you know, because I know Ryder likes to do, he likes, you like to have cook, you cook some things, don't you? You like doing that. And others, I bet, do as well. Uh, but it has to do with how you do that. Do you have to, um, what do you have? Do you have to measure for anything? I mean, why do you, this is a measuring cup, and uh, for those who use it in the kitchen, I am, I'm returning it. I'll, as soon as we finish here, I will get it back down to the kitchen. Whoever will be using it on Wednesday night. But what do we use this for? We don't have any one. You measure, you measure to make sure it's the right amount, right? So you don't want too much or too little. Or you might use it to measure sugar, if you're going to put sugar in there, or some artificial sweetener, hmm? and milk, other things that you would put in there. And so we use that to measure when we're making something, cooking something, right? Mixing it up. Now, what about this right here? What do you use this for? You probably have had one of those at school, right? And you, you measure, you use it to measure. We, I had a tape measure, but I have loaned it out to someone here at the church, and I don't know where it is now, so I had to use this yardstick. But we can use it to measure how tall some, something is, or we could also put it across there and see how wide that table is, right? Can you see it, Millicent? How much, what does it say? 30, 30 inches, right? So we use this to measure things, and the reason we do that is so that we'll know what size it is, how wide it is, how long it is. The, uh, there's also, you may have, like today out in front, there are people running, and sometimes we have our timers that we put on it, stopwatch, and so we hit that, 
And now we can measure how long this sermon lasts or Dr. Roxdale's lasts. But it's a, time, it's a stopwatch to measure that, right? Now, people running today, they were trying to get to a certain point by a certain amount of time, and so they, were, they have their watches on their wrists that they, they use. Now, all of that is used to measure something. But there are things that we can't measure. And you know why? They're too big. And one of those, well, we can measure the church. It's, it's actually from the back to up here is about 80 feet. Side to side is 60, and it's 40 feet to the top. So it's, it's, um, it's pretty, pretty high. Now, the reason I was telling you about that is Dr. Roxborough is going to, to preach about how broad God's love is. And it's big enough to take everybody in. God's love is enough of it. It's not measured out. There's more than enough for all of us. There's more than enough for every person in this world. And we really can't put any kind of limits on it. God's love is for everybody. It is as wide as we might could imagine. There was a song that we used to sing when we were your age about uh, there's a fountain flowing. I won't try to sing it, but it was, it was basically it was deep and wide. We would talk about the, the fountain being or the stream being wide and deep. That's like God's love. It's deep, so deep and so wide that we can't measure it. Now, that makes us know that each of us, each of us, Millicent, Jack, Ryder, Abigail, and Eli, are all loved by God. And loved by God so much, so much, that even he gave his own son. So let's thank God that it's more than we can imagine, his love. And that he loves every one of us. Let's, let's offer that prayer this morning. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you that that love is for every person, and there's more than enough for everyone. We can't really measure it because it is so deep and so wide. Be with each of these children today. Bless them and keep them ever close to you. In your name we pray. There's enough to go around, but that's all. I think someone asked me if I had the Eli one to take pictures with. Go to this point, but I'll give you one. you join me in prayer this morning? Creator God, you came among us and you come today in the many colored splendor of your love. Your love is so high we can't get over it, so low we can't get under it, so broad we can't get round of it. Your love is wonderful. In your presence we discover one another and we discover through the face of friends, we discover your grace and work in so many different situations. 
We pray that you would help us to see also your presence in the face of others that we come into contact with, strangers. Help us to see each person as created in your likeness and loved by you as much as we are. Spirit of God, you speak to us, often words of comfort but also of challenge, which give purpose to our day-by-day living, whispering encouragement, calling us to go forward. And so we come before you today into your presence that we might be renewed and our lives might be reopened to your love in the service of your world. We come today to pray for people in need, for transformation in hearts often left cold by hurt, in lives sometimes destroyed by loneliness, in bodies held to ransom by pain and souls crying out for relief. We pray especially for healing for those known to us who are troubled in body, mind, and spirit. May they know your presence and the comfort of your promises, and may also we be a means of bringing aid to people in need. We pray that in our own community of faith and within the community of this city in which we live, that reconciliation and peace will always be an achievable reality and not just a dream of the hopeful that we may together offer help, hope, and encouragement to all who are in need within our culture. May we continue to encounter and confront you along the pathway of life, that our faith may be strengthened, our love may be transformed, and our lives may be worthy of your blessing and always ready in the service of others. O Lord, God of our salvation, We ask that you would hear all our prayers offered in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who taught us to pray with confidence, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
The book of Jonah has its comedic moments. Perhaps it's meant to shock and surprise, surprise us with its message. As soon as Jonah is introduced at the beginning of the book, he's described as the son of Amittai, a name derived from the Hebrew root, which means to be faithful. So the joke already is on Jonah in the first chapter. He is anything but faithful. Typically, the prophets of the people of Israel were obedient to God's will, while the audiences were stubborn and recalcitrant sinners. Quicker to kill the prophet, they take seriously his message. But the opposite is the case with Jonah. Despite his unwillingness to preach a message of repentance and faith and love to others, by the end of Jonah chapter 1, Jonah has a whole boatload of converts, pagan sailors who are models of piety and faithfulness as they, offer, as they honor God, offer sacrifices, and make vows of obedience to Him. And then by the end of the final chapter, we discover that the whole city of Nineveh that Jonah has been reluctant to go and preach to has turned and repented in dust, cloth, and ashes, 120,000 of them, including the king. And he's only preached a message in Hebrew of five words, anything but sincerely delivered. The joke, in some way, is on Jonah, although he is disgusted with the way that God has acted. He's angry in two occasions in chapter 4. God has fulfilled His purposes through Jonah, even though Jonah has been uncooperative right to the very end. Why does Jonah run away from God? Why does he… is he too frightened for the task? Is it too much for him? I don't think it's anything to do with being called to be a prophet. It's the people to whom Jonah has been called to go that is the problem, Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, a nation that had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and held the southern kingdom of Judah as a kind of vassal state for almost a hundred years. Assyria was more than an empire, an enemy. It was a brutal occupying force that changed Israel's fortunes. It had the reputation of being the cruelest of all the empires invading different countries. And no matter where it went, it was cruel, and that included Israel. In 701 BCE, the Assyrian emperor Sennacherib laid siege to a city of Lashish. The event is commemorated in a sculpture. It's the only sculpture that is left, as far as we know, in which the empire had a painting, a picture, a sculpture of his triumph over a nation. It's now located in the British Empire. Another empire took the proceeds of a previous empire into its capital city. But it's the only battle that's portrayed in his reign. It depicts in great detail brutality against the Jewish nation, eerily similar to the pictures that emerged out of World War II. So Assyria was the enemy, and not just the enemy, but a destructive enemy. So the story of Jonah has very little to do with a big fish. It's a message about being unwilling to go outside of our own circle of comfort with the good news that God's love is universal. Now, Jonah was no different to any Jew of the time. Uh, don't be too hard on him. 
Jews hated Assyria, and they had every right to, you might say, humanly speaking, hated them. Nineveh is the last place that a Jew would think of going, even to visit, let alone taking them a message that God was a God of mercy, grace, and love. And so, it's understandable that when he hears the message on the call of God in his life in chapter 1, he gets on a boat and goes as far away in the opposite direction from Nineveh. Some people think that Tarshish is located in southern Spain. Then God begins to play with Jonah. A storm comes up. Jonah thinks he's getting away with things. He won't have to go to the ungodly people that he doesn't like. But Jonah begins to realize that God's love is greater than he imagined. You know the story. He eventually survives the storm on a new, on a new mode of conveyance that nobody had ever used before, and he finds himself in dry land. And God gives him a second chance, so reluctantly, very reluctantly. He goes to Nineveh and without any enthusiasm whatsoever, preaches a message. Five words, I'm told, in the Hebrew language, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. He never thought about giving an altar call, an appeal. And yet, the people of Nineveh believed God. And even the king says, all shall turn from your evil ways. Now, you would have thought that Jonah would have been happy. After all, he's the only really successful prophet in the whole of the Hebrew Bible. He's brought about a mass conversion that Billy Graham only dreamed about. Every inhabitant of the city, human and animal alike, has been affected by this message of the love of God. Jonah should be ecstatic, but he's not. And we're told that he's angry on two occasions. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jonah saw what had happened, and it was very displeasing to him. Now, you're meant to, if you had heard this message read in the original Hebrew, you're meant to see a, 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 something that happened in chapter 1, because in chapter 1, the wickedness of Nineveh is very displeasing to God. And now, the mercy and the love of God is very displeasing to Jonah. It's comedic, as well as tragic. Do they deserve mercy? Do they deserve to be saved? Where's the justice when God gives grace? The Assyrian king, Walter Brueggemann, says, as a better theologian than Jonah, he has an idea that God can change his mind. God is free to forgive and offer reconciliation, and his love is not confined to his chosen people. God forgives Nineveh, and Jonah sulks. And the story ends with God teaching Jonah some basic theology. God is a God of love. And he cares for the people of Nineveh just as much as he cares for the people of Israel. It's a lesson in the wideness of God's mercy, the universality of God's love. It's a lesson that much of the world, much of the church, much of our own country needs to learn and relearn and reaffirm. Frederick Faber's hymn sums it up well. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. But we make his love too narrow by the false limits of our own, and we magnify his strictness with a zeal he will not own. It's one of my favorite hymns. 
One of Peanut's cartoons depicts Snoopy sitting on the top of his doghouse, writing furiously, and Charlie Brown asks him, what are you writing? And Snoopy answers, it's a book on theology. And Charlie Brown persists, and what are you going to call it? And Snoopy looks up from his writing and replies, the title will be, Have You Ever Considered That You Might Be Wrong? A good title for a theology book. Jonah's opposition to God's grace anticipates what we find in the New Testament, the parable of the prodigal son, or the parable of the elder brother who doesn't like mercy being shown to this rascal. The workers hired first in the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and they don't like the fact that the workers at the end of the day get paid exactly what they get paid. And Peter, who doesn't want to go to a Gentile called Cornelius, over and over and over again you find it in the Bible. The people of God finding it difficult to realize that God loves the whole world. That God had said to Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Perhaps we find it difficult at times to love those whom Jesus said are our enemies. The story ends with a rhetorical question. Should I not, says God, should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? I like that last bit. God is concerned about the whole of creation. The question looms large in our minds and hearts in the 21st century, how broad is our understanding of the love of God? Now, sometimes we can doubt His love towards us, but we really have problems with the others. We are left wrestling with the goodness of God that demands that we be God's grace to others, even those who have hurt us, to the innocent in the midst, to the other, the immigrant, the alien, the stranger, the person we see on the other side of the road and walk past, the goodness that hounds us, that will not allow us to escape, a love that even in the belly of the fish we find that God has not abandoned us to. God's mercy is towards all, towards all. God is showing us that His love transcends our barriers, even the barriers we create in the name of religion. Think of a person you find difficult to love this morning. Think of the love of God towards you, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We don't always like to be reminded that we are saved by the grace of God. Somehow or another, we think that we're a little bit better than others, and that's why God has demonstrated His love. But the love of God is given without merit. God loves us. He God loves us, we think, sometimes because we are more deserving, even as a country. That was Jonah's mistake. He thought Israel was special. But every nation is loved by God. He loves all just as much as He loved Judah. It comes down to attitude, to the little things sometimes, to the way in which we express kindness or frustration or anger towards others, folks in the grocery store, the folks in that waiting room at UAB or Brookwood, the guys in line at the post office who are taking so long, or the gas station. It can be a lifelong struggle to be kind, to be generous, to be magnanimous towards all. I'm grateful that God didn't give up on Jonah. He didn't give up on Nineveh. He didn't give up on Jonah. 
He tried all he could to hide from God, but God didn't let him. God pursued him, chased him down corridors, got him under a tree. Where can I flee from your presence? Asked the psalmist, and the answer is, nowhere, nowhere. I kind of hope that Jonah began to see the funny side of it all and began to laugh at himself. I hope Jonah realized how messed up it is when you limit the love and the mercy of God. The author Anne Lamotte once said, you can safely assume you have created God in your own image if it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. It's an attitude that tries to make God small and tame and controllable. And if we're honest, it's an issue that has damaged the life of the church down through the centuries. We've been wrestling often with inclusion in so many different areas of life. For centuries, the church was certain that women were inferior, weak, irresponsible, and incapable of leadership. They hadn't met Serena Williams. God make us a church where distinctions of class, education, gender, culture, sexuality, language, ethnicity doesn't make any difference. Because in Christ, we are united And in the love and the mercy of God that we've experienced, that love, that love is calling us to be channels of grace, channels of grace to all that we come into contact with. Perhaps one question at times we need to to ask ourselves individually is, if every church member were just like me, what kind of church would my church be? Will you pray with me? gracious, generous God, the God of love, the God of Jonah, the God of Abraham, the God of Nineveh, our God. We bless you for your love in Christ Jesus, mediated by your Spirit. Enable us to live out the call of your love upon our lives to one another. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of promise, our hymn of response is number 66, my shepherd will supply my need. Let's stand to sing.
with me, please. Eternal, loving God of immeasurable mercy and grace, we praise your almighty name today. You've blessed us with wealth, with opportunities. Oh God, you've commanded us to honor you with that that we may have. And we pray that you be honored today as we return to you that which already is yours. Bless us as cheerful givers and bless the tithes and offerings that we give. We offer this prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
serving, Lord, with great joy. We bring these tithes and offerings into your house. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless them, multiply them. May they bring peace, love, and joy to those that we're able to minister to because of these offerings. In Christ's name, amen. Be seated for just a moment, please. It's good to be here today and to share together in worship and also to know that we'll be able to be back this evening to also share together. We have a special event tonight with uh, Jazz Vespers uh, that will be down in Brennan Hall. And uh, Cheryl, there you are. Uh, nothing you would like to say, just to come and enjoy and have a good time of fellowship and hear some really good music. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. And Dr. Banks for helping get all of that together. Last, we'll add that our guest group tonight is called Ladies Night Out. They're actually a group of six, uh, five ladies from uh, the Choir of the Independent Presbyterian Church that has created a sort of a HCC atmosphere. Okay, well good. So it won't be just Cheryl and the band, but there'll be another group uh, with you there tonight as well. And a word from Dr. Lowe. And a word from Dr. Oh, oh yes, yes. Whenever Cheryl says it's okay for you to say it. Yeah. Um, she is the sort of the conductor and all of that, so when she allows you to come and speak, you will come and speak. Well, it's, uh, it is good to be here and to share together, to know that as we do, that we have been reminded again of the breadth and the depth of the love of God for all people, and to know that God allows us that privilege to go out into the world and to share that love with others through all the acts of kindness that we're able to engage in, the friendships we establish, the fellowship we enjoy. And so may we go and do that as we go as God's people in this place. So we go into the world knowing that the limitless love of God encourages us, embraces us, and enables us to love others as he has loved us. Go with that blessing through Christ our Lord. 